Hello, my name is Kristen Smith, and welcome to the first episode of season two of the Sight Black Women podcast. Thank you for supporting us during the first season. We are excited to be back with a new lineup of conversations and reflections for season two. This season, we are focusing on transnational dialogue and knowledge production. So to kick off the season and Women's History Month, we are starting with a series of podcasts that we recorded during the Black Women's Intellectual Contributions to the Americas, Perspectives from the Global South Conference. I hosted this conference with Lorraine Liu and Dinah Berry here at the University of Texas at Austin on February 20th and 21st of 2020. This event was truly historic. We brought together Black women artists, academics, and activists from all over Latin America and the Caribbean. The idea was simple. What does it mean to shift our understanding of Black women's intellectual contributions to the Americas to a Global South perspective? The conversations were powerful and moving, and we all left knowing that this was the beginning of a new horizon. As the poet Elizondra Souza told me afterward, we opened a new portal in the universe those two days. One of the most beautiful moments during the conference was an impromptu trilingual conversation around Caribbean scholar Sylvia Winter's work. In order to make the conference inclusive, we worked hard to ensure that all participants could understand what was going on. This meant translating everything into Spanish, Portuguese, and English. During Bador Alagra's presentation on Sylvia Winter, which was in English, Yomaira Figueroa began to do a dialogic translation of her presentation in Spanish, the result of which was an amazing call and response between the two. Keynote speaker Carol Boyce Davies then announced that this was an epic class on Sylvia Winter's work and that she wished that every student could be here to hear it. So just after the panel, I approached all three and asked them to sit down and be in conversation about Sylvia Winter, Caribbean philosophy, and Black women's intellectual contributions to the Americas from a Global South perspective. The following is a recording of that amazing conversation. It is lively, it is engaging, and it captures the spirit of the conference. So without further ado, here are Professor Carol Boyce Davies of Cornell University, Professor Yomaira Figueroa of Michigan State University and Professor Bador Alagra of the University of Texas at Austin in conversation. Their bios can be found in the description for this week's podcast. Enjoy. Thank you to the Sight Black Women podcast for having us. Uh, my name is Yomaira Figueroa. My name is Bidur Allegra. My name is Carol Boyce Davies. And we are here um, to talk about, uh, to kind of following up on a conversation we had yesterday. We were, or we are at the um, University of Texas at Austin at the Lozano Long Conference, and the theme of the conference was Black Women's Intellectual Contributions to the Americas. And yesterday at um, <laughs> one of my the presentations, panels, yes. <laughs> one of the important things to note is that with Black women coming from all across the Americas, speaking a lot of different languages and translation is necessarily a part of how we're communicating with one another um and so what i really loved is my talk dovetailed with badar's talk yeah um but then badar did like um a much more sustained meditation on sylvia winter but then we needed a translator that's right um and then i had to like jump in um and then but carol boyce davies had given a keynote earlier that day that also alluded to the work of sylvia winter 
Um, and so in the Q&A, <laughs> once we got like a translation off and it ended up being a really great conversation, yeah. actually, um, then uh, Carol uh, was able to join us from the audience in a really <laughs> incredible meditation on winter. And then Kristen asked us to come in and <laughs> do it again and do it again. Yeah, but we can't it's, it's do it. It's a once in a lifetime. But it will be on video. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's on video. video. We really bottled lightning, I think. Yeah. It's hard to do that but, two but, times. Yeah, one of the things we really wanted to start with is talking about about how we each encountered winter. Mm. And for me, I was a grad student, which is amazing, in a Sailor James class at Howard <sighs> University. Oh, you're oh, just going to play that out of your sleeve? Okay. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and and um, I used to date a guy who was a very Marxist. You know, many of us, those are the kind of guys we kind of gravitated <laughs> to in my generation. And um, he said, oh, and Jay, he was taking James' class, and all these guys were like James' acolytes. And he said, um, oh, James is having a speaker today. Maybe you want to come? And I would show up every now and then to the class. And it was winter. And I keep saying she was the first Caribbean woman intellectual that I encountered. And, and of course, gradually learned more and more about her work. To, you know, first of all, when you meet people in that time space and knowing who she is in terms of how she did, did her work, it's not like now where there's like a book, like in my case, people know me because of read left of Karl Marx or something and they come with the book already <laughs> but with Winter she didn't so right. one of the key things about Winter that I knew about was that Sailor James himself had called her an intellectual smarter than anybody he knew in the Caribbean ain't that the truth and then he, she was yeah so for me learning and I was in a book called Study Black Bridges an essay um, that he did where he talked about you know, women's uh, contributions to the Caribbean. It's probably one of his only pieces available that really does mm -hmm. that. But that's where I first met Winter. And then, of course, she uh, is a theoretical staple in my thinking, but also in my teaching, in my mm -hmm. intellectual work. So I'm really pleased that another generation, like, <laughs> as I was saying yesterday, like you, Yomara, Anadora, right, uh, really taking it further. Um, I also encountered winter in graduate school, I think in a different context. Um, so I was at Berkeley in ethnic studies and I was taking um, a course called Theorizing the Human that was being taught by Nelson Maldonado Torres. Uh. And... Um, and so we were reading Winter, and of course, I think like anyone's first encounter with Winter, or I think like most people, you're like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> this is like, this is the most difficult, the most rich thing that I've read. And so it's something that I kept revisiting. And I remember like now thinking back, you know, the first time I read it, I did not understand it at all. You know, I didn't get it. And it was only in revisiting and revisiting, even though I, I knew and not understanding fully what she what she was trying to say or what she was doing I knew that there was something so critical there that I needed to, to get to know and so for me um, it also became uh, a really important part of my work especially towards the end of my dissertation I remember revisiting the ceremony must be found after humanism and 1492 a new worldview and seeing in there a kind of pattern and a, and a kind of like imperative to get the work done. And um, for me, one of the most important things, um, when I kind of get down, you know, when you think about the kinds of stakes of this political work, um, 
the intellectual work, the community work, it seems really overwhelming. And yet and still, uh, Winter um, says it's it's the literary humanities. It's the, the sciences um, of the word that are going to lead us to this new, um, this new transformation of the human sciences. And then I, I sit with that and I say, okay, this, is, this matters. If I sit here with this work, it matters um, in a way that can get me out of my head about, about the other thing. And so I also teach to work with my graduate students um, now. And I see in them that first moment of shock when they read. I'm like, okay, y'all gonna read Sylvia Winter week one. <laughs> yeah. get, ready, get ready. Get ready. Get, you better get your cup of coffee. You better mm-hmm. get your stuff together. Your dictionary. Yeah. Yes, your dictionary. Strap um, yourself in. Exactly. She's gonna take you in a while. And then, you know, when we do the, uh, you know, we work it out in class, when they come back, they're like, what was Whoa, that? You know? Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it but really... But it's like a nice opening when you see them Absolutely. do it. Absolutely. For all of us, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And um, one of the things that I started to do is um, not only uh, I start diagramming her sentences, Mm. because of her training, right? She writes in a very particular kind of way, Mm -hmm. um, in a way that I see a lot when I'm reading in Spanish, Mm -hmm. um, but she's writing in English. And so for my students, what I do is I diagram a sentence on the board, and I'm like, okay, this is how, you know, you might get lost in the middle of the sentence, but this is how you can read her. Mm -hmm. And so I'll do, like, here's the beginning, here's the end, and here's the the chunk of the middle is where she's speaking out to all the different fields that contextualize the point of the sentence, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So that's really... um, useful I think Um, but it is uh, kind of funny because as I was telling you yesterday that by the time I'm done lecturing about winter in any given class my board um, my classroom blackboard looks like a beautiful mind you know it's like all (laughs) numbers and arrows and maps and and I'm like you see you see and I look like a conspiracy theorist you know and I'm like no this is all winter you know (laughs) Um, and so they love that yeah yeah I think it's also important to remember too that you know uh, she comes out of her own training as a Spanish Renaissance scholar and intellectual having written her you know, master's thesis on the Empieza de Sangue in, in Spain and yeah. ideas of blood purity and so how that kind of gets um, threaded through and transformed at different historical moments Absolutely. as she's writing and thinking. And um, my encounter with Sylvia Winter as well was <laughs> in graduate school. I just left graduate school, so it sounds really funny to say when I was in graduate school. Um, but I came into, so I did my uh, PhD in Africana Studies um, at Brown University, which is known for being a place where a lot of folks really read and teach Sylvia Winter's um, works. Um, but I came into it having already a real deep interest in Caribbean philosophies, um, especially kind of mid-century Caribbean thought a lot of C.L.R. James, um, George Lamming, um, Fanon Césaire, the whole the whole gang was yeah, there in yeah. my own in my own kind of um, toolkit. Yeah. And then arriving at Brown, my my supervisor was um, Anthony Bogues, and um, so obviously he said to me, "Well, if you really like these thinkers, <laughs> you're going to really like Sylvia Winter." And so I also remember encountering. Um, her work for the first time, I think it was how we mistook the map for the territory. Oh, and I, I think it was piece. important, so you know, it's reading that. Relevant. Yeah, and, and, and reading that inside of a Black Studies department, mm-hmm. right? Considering how she discusses the stakes um, and what a hinge point the 1960s were for this thing that we call um, Black Studies. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember reading it and really having a kind of mental block, like not being able to absorb so much of what was in there the first time. And then you realize that it's not necessarily the writing style. It's not necessarily the quote-unquote verbosity that's getting in the way. You really just have to, like, unburden yourself of a whole lot of things that you bring mm-hmm. into the the reading, the discipline of reading itself in order to really consider what's being offered um, in her writings. Mm-hmm. And 
I felt that once I started to shed that like habitus that I had prior, slowly, slowly, I was able to sort of absorb or at least yeah. try to absorb parts of what we're being offered. I was thinking too of the no humans involved, mm-hmm. particularly California, dealing with this question of policing mm-hmm. and how the black body is seen as not human, mm-hmm. uh, which she really captures well in that nice short piece. Mm-hmm. And it's a nice piece for students to get the first Absolutely. introduction to along with that piece Absolutely. about how we mistook the map for the territory. One of the things I really love mm-hmm. about that piece, and actually um, recently um, uh, Ethnic Studies Rise uh, roundtable, uh, hosted a roundtable on GitHub. So it's a website with a bunch of ethnic studies scholars um, writing in response to one another um, around questions of ethnic studies in in universities, but also in response to um, Dr. Lorde Garcia Pena's uh, denial of tenure at Harvard. Harvard yeah. um, and so we, I, I partook in, in part of that roundtable. It's incredible um, essays that are part of it. But one of the things that we were talking about is precisely how we mistook the map for the territory and thinking mm-hmm. about the ways that even as we are included, right, um, we are still seen as like vestibular to the university mm-hmm. um, and, and both an actual like having black studies on the periphery, right? right? Mm-hmm. Um, but also ourselves but being also the intellectual work. And yes. that's the big thing about this conference, mm-hmm. yep. that the intellectual work of black women, after at least a really intense uh, set of, of intellectual productions since the 1980s, on what I mean, of course, before, um, is still not really part of the major framework mm-hmm. of most of these institutions, right. if we think about it. And what's I think Winter probably is the only one now who has kind of broken through yes. yeah. Uh, I was wondering even if does she even realize the extent to which <laughs> her work now is is cited by everybody, and if they want to get to some sort of theory that that yeah. picks up all these questions that I they are not able to understand. That's a that's a that's mm. a good question actually mm. to mm. ask her. And I'm also thinking I'm also thinking again about this thing of the map and the territory. And I actually had a student ask me, so what's the map and what's the territory? <laughs> which is which, right? Mm-hmm. And I felt that that was such. I mean, it's such a simple question, but it also was so, like, puzzling, Mm -hmm. you know, for me, even someone who reads her work, and then you realize that the map and the territory, it's a relation, right? It's Mm -hmm. not necessarily one or thing represents one thing and the other one is analogous to another thing, but it's a relation, right? So in the same way that you might mistake representation for freedom, for example, right? Mm -hmm. We know that representation is not freedom, but often they are confused or one is mistaken for the other. Um, And so trying to even get myself and students to think outside of these kind of absolutist impositions that we have on the way that we read. So in looking at the title, trying to figure out what's the map and what's the territory, rather than kind of think alongside what is being given to us in the text, you know, and that's something that she also kind of forces us to do. Absolutely. This week, my students in the grad seminar in my Race, Gender, and the Human seminar, which takes from my advisor's theorizing the human, right? So in my Race Gender the Human seminar, they read um, Imani Perry's Vexy thing. And one of the mm-hmm. things that she offers um, in that is a reading of particular kinds of maps and an argument that cartography is about power, right? So the map it- itself is about being able to scope out a space of land with the intent of dispossession, mm-hmm. right? And saying, like, this is the territory, this is what it is. But it's not. It's just a map, Absolutely. right? And the map is actually a particular kind of person's perspective of what that is, right? Of what that space is. Um, and so that was a really generative discussion that we had 
around questions of cartography, right, right. and map making, yeah. as opposed to what does this land look like for the people of that place. Right. And Dion Brand, she does so mm-hmm. much. I mean, oh, she tells definitely. us, right? You know, mm-hmm. what, what is a map? You know, right. it's a right. cognitive schema for finding your way, right? That Absolutely. is that's what it is. And Absolutely. I think also to kind of, I don't think we can thank folks like Kathy McKittrick enough mm-hmm. for for what she has done, and it's not just a way of honoring a particular thinker like Sylvia Winter or showing how the breadth and depth of the theorizations, but extending the theory, right? Mm-hmm. Taking it somewhere else, right? Because that is the point, right? Not simply to say, I understand what's being said mm-hmm. here or I am fluent or conversant in this particular intellectual tradition, but to take the theory and extend it and take it somewhere else that it hasn't been before, you know? So I really want to kind of right. throw but, her but, name but, in the mix as well. But, yeah. but I don't want to lose sight of the fact oh, yes. that specific to Black studies, mm-hmm. she was trying to say that what was intended... Um, in, in terms of its mapping at the start, has not mm-hmm. really been achieved. Instead, no. we did not get to that transformative right. place. Absolutely. And the things that limited us from doing that include gender issues and mm-hmm. in terms of the way black women's intellectual work is not yeah. part of the, the scheme of things in, in black studies mm-hmm. um, definitions of itself. And then how then do we create in the institution itself a transformative place that moves knowledge to a different mm-hmm. point. And I think that's the the failure to get there, I think, or the, the, the deferral, I think it is, mm-hmm. um, in terms of us finding ways to get there. It's still something we struggle with, all of us. Absolutely. And institutionalization exactly. itself, how she and Particularly working in institutions which have become so corporate-like 100%. in structure. Absolutely. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I mean, I think we, uh, we talked briefly yesterday about this, and um, I was talking briefly with them. Uh, Professor uh, Minka Makalani about this, but mm-hmm. thinking about um, Pedagogies of Crossing, mm-hmm. right, as also um, a book that documents the, this particular kind of contentious relationship with the institution when she mm-hmm. talks about her experience at the new school um, and when she talks about the ways that black women get systematically locked out of um, of places and institutions of knowledge. But even as they produce, then their contributions are reduced, mm-hmm. right? Um, and reducible to nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's about that active fight against it. And yet those things take a toll on us. Absolutely. Right? I mean, one of the, um, I teach a, a grad seminar uh, called Poetics of Liberation and Relation, Women of Color, Feminist Thought. And one of the things that I have my students think about is um, not only looking at these works and looking at anthologies and collections, um, as well as um, actual works of like poetry, fiction, plays, etc., but thinking about the ways that black women and women of color continually tended to each other's material contributions. What does it mean to pull each other out of obscurity? Mm-hmm. What does it mean to, to save each other out of the systems that try to erase us. And as part of that class, I have them create an anthology um, of all women of color, only women of color, based in their particular field and what they want to do. Um, And it becomes an exercise for them to really have to think, like, oh, well, I I do work on globalization. Well, you better go on and find some... (laughs) You know, black women and women of color who do this X Y Z thing, and um, one so of my so you actually want them to have the real text as part of this anthology, yes. not just a listing, not yeah, not just not a an listing. Not an bibliography. No, 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 no. <laughs> right. they, and they get you know the first time I did it, I think it was overzealous, you know, um, and so they ended up giving me these big stacks, you know. And you're like, I have and to so, read all this. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, but um, 
I've, I'm doing it again this year with my race, gender, and the human class. Um, and I've reduced a little bit of what I asked for because the first one I asked for like a whole thing. Yeah. But one of my grad students. That's a great idea. Actually. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One of my grad students, um, Brianna Jones, is about to come out as a result of that anthology that she did in my class in 2015. Um, Beverly Guy Sheftall asked her to do the companion to Words of Fire. Oh, wow. And so she's oh, coming out with um, the new press. Um, it's coming out Mouths of Rain. Um, and it's an anthology of, anthology of black lesbian um, women writing um, from across the Americas. I mean, it's really rich and incredible. And um, I'm just so excited. Like, she was like, oh, when, you know, when she was asked to do it, she was like, oh, I know how to do an anthology. I did it in grad seminar. Look at that. Right? Oh like, here goodness. it is. And so here's great. this beautiful volume coming See, out. See, this is what we mean about sharing strategies. Absolutely. That's an ex- absolutely excellent one. <laughs> totally. And yeah. I think your work, obviously, um, Carol, has out of the Kumbla, I mean, exemplary. I mean, I mean, I mean <laughs> thinking about anthology and thinking right. about, I mean, that's the centerpiece, yeah. right? Like, with, like, do you know what, do you know what it means to do this? Right. Look at right. this book. And not just right? out of the Kumbla, but also in elevating right oh, the thoughts and deeds utterances of radical black women and, and their, mentoring and them as thinkers on their own mm-hmm. terms right so there's you know so much of a way that even i mean even if you look at someone like asada shakur who's understood to be act, an activist and a fighter and all these but not an intellectual, intellectual exactly. on her own mm-hmm. terms and that's and what that's, i like claudia jones had a, a statement she made when she got up to the court to speak and i was thinking i should have shown it on the slide yesterday but she says your honor you do not think that black women can think mm-hmm. and speak and write and for me that's an intellectual statement she mm-hmm. was making there right away absolutely in front of the court that public space you know where one is silenced or one is dealt with or one is punished or what have you has happened in her case mm. but actually claiming that woman's voice and that ability to say I think I speak I write mm-hmm. this is what I do and and I'm being punished for that I think is is the the contribution I liked from her on that particular topic a philosophy topic. of being right yes yes that goes way yes. beyond and you that's know Hegel some... and Heidegger and who, yeah, whatever I mean... <laughs> right like yeah and that's also something that you know Sylvia Winter said before in a conversation that I had with her and she said, you know, for let alone Caribbean women, right? But for a Caribbean to stand up and say that I'm a writer at the time in which she emerged, she said that was considered a joke, right? It was considered a joke to have called yourself a writer with a capital W. Because a writer was a lonely person the writer who went in the off attic. somewhere. Right? <laughs> you know? George yeah. Lamming is, you know, is probably the iconic um, writer from her mm. time period. But interestingly, yeah. you know, many of them ended up being friends mm-hmm. in different ways. But the framing of the writer, thats I guess that's the one thing that feminists did push back against, that a woman can write um, as they're raising babies, as they're mm-hmm. taking breaks from th- mm-hmm. different things, and that it challenges sort of linear normative structure of what writing is supposed to do in terms of time and in terms of how it's presented. You mentioned Jamaica Kinkage. She's mm-hmm. perfectly one of those people to push back against how Absolutely. one structures an intellectual piece, a creative piece as well. And Morrison, mm-hmm. um, clearly Morrison, in <laughs> different ways, right, yes. uh, is able to push back against that. I love yeah. the fact that Morrison says, you know, I stayed where I was and I demanded the center to come to me. And she says it's in the pieces I am and in mm-hmm. several other places that the center was not where they were. The center is where I am. Mm-hmm. And I love that way of thinking because it reminded me of Zora Neale Hurston as well saying, you know, I, I don't really care if people are discriminating 
anything against me. How can they miss being with me? How can they deny themselves the pleasure of my company? And I live with that wherever I am, in a bus, in a train, in a neighborhood. You know, really? I don't need you to make me feel better. Yeah, I feel great. I feel good. I know I'm good. I'm good. I'm funny. You know, like, got this. Yeah. And I just, I also think that, you know, even in thinking about Because Sylvia Winter, for example, is someone who calls herself a writer, right? And not a philosopher or Mm -hmm. a theorist with a capital. She very much calls herself a a writer. And there's, there is, I mean, as you mentioned, it's such a, it's a, conceptually so loaded, right? I feel like we take that word and we just load it with all kinds of expectations, also anxieties about what it means. And, and it almost na- then becomes evacuated of meaning because of the way that we load things onto it. But I think um, someone like her and, and other people like Toni Morrison, for example, bring the writing back to the writer as a figure, right? How as the, the process, process right? Like, yeah, yeah, as the process yeah. of yeah. writing yeah. itself, right? Is where you, is where the, the thinking is. It's not as if you're, I have this idea. Let me figure out a way mm. to put to it to go the page, in exile right? Yeah. From my people, right. and then write. Yeah. <laughs> but the process of yeah. writing itself, right, mm. is is fundamental to the type of thinking that mm. occurs and, and a reflection of the world around you, right? There's that, and I'm, I think about Audrey Lorde saying, "Poetry is not a luxury." Right. This is this is not this is all I need is a paper and a pen. Mm -hmm. And here we go. And this is why Mm -hmm. it is a choice for so many women and black women. Right. At that. Mm -hmm. And I'm also thinking about the way that, for example, Edwidge Santicat and even Mayra Santos Feveres do particular kinds of political work around their writing. They are writers. When I go to Puerto Rico, people be like, oh, um, I'm like, oh, I'm here. Mayra sent me for X, Y, Z. And she's like, oh, la escritora. Right, the writer, the writers, all people in the neighborhood know her. That's wonderful. And in Edwidge Stanley, Leisure Nali, right? Like when she writes about in, um, in Create Dangerously, how um, the the idea of being a writer, her her family's like, oh, you're a journalist. Mind too that Maida had created when she was a grad student at Cornell in her PhD the whole concept of translocality. Oh yeah, it's in her work, but I mean people see her only again in that cre- in that sense of creating. But what I've tried to do with and creating literature, mm-hmm. what I try to do with students is have them look at the, what I call the creative theoretical. Mm-hmm. And Winter is that person. Absolutely. Uh, we have several others. Absolutely. I mean, even Glissant himself. Yeah. So essentially, Derek Walcott. Derek yeah. Walcott. Yeah. yeah, so for Caribbean writers, and that's one of the nice things we can say, there has not been that really hard boundary Absolutely between not. the creative and yeah. the theoretical. And often they come together, often they're separate, often and they're not. And that's why um, the Caribbean has something to offer. You know, I don't want to be one of those people that kind of exceptionalizes, you know, the Caribbean. Yeah. But I, I just, I have to, there is something, and me not as a Caribbean person myself, but having doing my work in and around and of the Caribbean, there is a way that it is an opening onto the whole world. Not why? Si- because um, Nancy yeah. Morhone is really perfect um, on yes. this one. Oh, oh my absolutely. God! Yes. In Caribbean spaces, yes. where she says yes. the Caribbean was like the place where you know all of these things came together first in the New World, sort of, yes. and then they moved in different directions. 100%. And you can see it happening in terms of spirituality, whether it's Santeria, mm-hmm. whether it's mm-hmm. seasoning, whether it's food, whether it's mm-hmm. literature, music, carnival. The whole thing so that we I'm kind of infuse the world with all of these things. <laughs> I'm okay with that. Yeah, and I, I love to think of it like that because Absolutely. it keeps us away from seeing the Caribbean as these small, isolated little islands in the middle of nowhere, 100%. but rather as places where 
you know, we were produced, but we also reproduce ourselves in different kinds of ways. Well, there's two things mm. I want to say about mm-hmm. that. And one is the way that Mayra, uh, you know how she uh, was the director of Festival de la Palabra, this huge literary festival in the Spanish region, Caribbean, the largest one. Um, and I remember one year she was giving the opening talk and she said, you know, Puerto Rico is chiquito, but el mundo cabe en él, right? Puerto Rico is very small, but the world fits inside of it, mm-hmm. right? And so thinking mm-hmm. about that in the context of the Caribbean, um, it is the birthplace of the modern world, yeah. right? Yes, um, and the way that we think about it is it's, it's so necessary. But I also think that um, part of what we're talking about in terms of the, the kinds of ways that our work from the Caribbean traverses the kind of narrative, personal, and the theoretical and the poetic um, is sometimes short-circuited by language mm-hmm. um, or by the inability for us to read each other's right, work, the which is the, the kind of translation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking about Mayra Santos's collection, Sobre Piel y Pal. Sobre piel y papel, mm-hmm. over a skin and paper. Um, and it's a beautiful essay that I, for example, would love to teach my students in a course like Raise Gender in the Human um, because it is so, oh, so present. But it's only in Spanish. Yes. Oh, wow. And so, so um, we're trying to work again. to get it trans- and translated. And then to the question of these islands, um, I wanted to kind of uh, to have us think about Oceania and archipelago studies coming out of Oceania. Um, and even Epeli. things like the Circum-Caribbean, Circum-Atlantic oh, studies, yeah. right? This idea, yeah. right, that, you know, there was... Um, I was at a conference over the weekend and one of the... Um, uh, discussant said something very beautiful, right? That wherever place you're in, there's a little bit of that place everywhere in the Absolutely. world, right? So if you're in South Africa, there's a little bit of South Africa everywhere in the world, right? Wow, because of the way that this yeah. these like um, currents operate. I was operate. thinking to the Caribbean, the, the sense of precarity that is the Caribbean, mm-hmm. living with climate change, mm-hmm. living, you know, with possible volcanic eruptions, right. Right. living. I mean, it's it's. I think we experience, and Ojolot has a wonderful. Uh, term about that, particularly in her, I think it's Grenada Revisited, where she says that for Caribbean women, whatever happens in the world, we, we think something worse has already happened. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. we, we're mm-hmm. not A Caribbean wife, she said, the people used to say, is the best to have because whatever happens, they've already seen worse. Yeah. So we live always... <laughs> like after the, port, the hurricane right. in Puerto Rico, exactly. everybody's like, estamos right. bien, we're okay. And right. it's like, yes. uh, no, no, you're not you're okay. Not. Like, it's fine. Right. Well, it's interesting right. because, you know, mm. in, um, mm. you know, uh, um, a colleague of mine, she once said that, um, you know, um, and she's Haitian. Her name is uh, Felicia Denot. And she she said that, you know, Haiti is an epicenter, right? Not necessarily a center, but an epicenter where the grounds literally shift. Mm-hmm. And even in my own work, I'm, you know, myself trying to think about a kind of conceptual history of this thing we called catastrophe, right? And trying to think of it as a political concept akin to sovereignty, freedom, all these things that are major political concepts and trying to think about catastrophe in a similar way. And obviously my work in the Caribbean is what informs these uh, theorizations. But what's interesting is that you come to, it comes to destabilize everything which you thought about these, these very, these concepts that we think are kind right. of a priori, right? But we, it's also we, back to winter, not right. so how to be human. <laughs> how, to how do you become human after that kind of tragedy, after Haiti yeah. and that horrible and earthquake, after that those hurricanes that came through? <laughs> yeah. How do you become human again? And human humanity or being a human in the world is absolutely about recreating that, that initial sense of becoming human always. And I think that's what winter really helps us understand as well. I wanted to say to her earlier what I learned from Winter too when she was talking at this conference in Wellesley. And I was, of course, at that point also struggling with some of the things that I was reading from her. And she actually told me that I am always was always refining what I was thinking. So you yep. have to also tell students that, that if you don't get it, mm-hmm. keep in mind she said she was always arguing, trying to argue that same point 
in all kinds of different contexts. Mm -hmm. So that if you miss it, you're going to get it again. Like, for example, in Beyond Miranda's Meaning, yes. as I was saying, yes. a whole chunk of it had to do with the question of what she was working out in the human. It didn't particularly fit the um, the boundaries of what we were working with in the afterward. Plus, it was very long. It was like 90-something mm -hmm. pages. But it, there was enough of that in what she was doing with Miranda in mm -hmm. terms of challenging the way in which white women were represented as, you know, the, the, the ideal uh, woman who everybody else needed to work with. And then, of course, the rewriting of that absent Caribbean woman you know, who was never there in the text anyway. I think that was such an important yeah. part of the conversation that, made, that we had I yesterday. Your yeah. of oh, that. thank you. Um, yeah. And I think the way that it resonated with the folks who are speaking Spanish and Portuguese was also really great, but also the limits of translation, right? We right. were like laughing because we were like mm -hmm. talking about Caliban's women, right? And, yeah. I'm, like, and you're like, no, la mujer le Caliban. And I'm like, no, oh, wait, no, 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 it is what she calls the liminal and the liminal not Absolutely. being on the outside but instead of thinking about the liminal on the outside the liminal as the foundation upon which episteme rests wow, right? and like when you that. think about it as the foundation then you think well if one part moves the whole thing mm -hmm. gotta move yeah. right and then um, it's also and and that's why the the figure of the writer is so important because revision and persistent revision is something a writer does. I know it's not something that we feel... someone trained in particular right. an anthropologist or a theorist. It's not something that one is doing as a kind of in service of the academy. Like that's that's what writers do, right? right. Is revise consistently, and that's why insisting upon her kind of. Um, um, insistence herself that yeah. she is a writer, you know, first and foremost. And refining an argument and a theory. That's where revision comes in. Thought, right? And revision is yeah. what writers do, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. But what does it mean for us to engage living thought? Mm -hmm. continual exactly. revision and for us to think about of ourselves in that way and that even after our writers pass right how do we engage in in how do we shift the temporality of like now this writer is no longer with us etc cetera, etc cetera, right so we think about come out breathway but engage it as a, a thought that that did live right that, always that did with us trans mm -hmm. always transform. With and then that is mm -hmm. also i think a contribution of the caribbean as well right the, sh the kind of shift in the way that we think about time and space and our ancestors and people and in the chapter that i sent you carol one of the things that I am conceiving of is the way that something like a practice like Santeria takes people who were dehumanized in the past and brings them into the present and brings them into the future as like beloved, uh, holy, mm -hmm. right, and and uh, spirits that can bless us, right, and in it that way shifts completely um, the temporal ways yeah. that modernity wants us to fracture ourselves from the past, mm -hmm. right, um, wow. and so I think that that becomes really important, and I think in thinking about Winter's work, she is engaging in so many different discourses, and she's like, okay, we just because this was written five hundred years ago or 200 years ago or 50 years ago doesn't mean that we don't have to put it into conversation with one another to make better to make clearer right mm -hmm. the kind of um position that we're in and the stakes that yeah. are you know that are at play right now and yeah. so that i really appreciate because and, yeah. the discourse she's bringing in i mean she does the and work these... that like now we don't have to do i'm like well thank goodness now i'm not to read you know <laughs> i mean i don't think i can like, right. thank you. So. I, I tell my students you have to have that training that. like you said to be able to do that i'm yeah. not good i'm like do we 1950 i'm like who was this guy what's going on right now you know yeah, yeah. well it's also interesting the way that you know i mentioned yesterday the way Stuart hall his ideas are seen as a kind of um, the type of ideas that travel well you know they move well you kind of you know put them in a place and they kind of you know um 
or this is like the perception, right, of, of his work. And I just, I also think that, um, you know, yesterday thinking about um, Sylvia Winter, number one, intervening very much in a kind of on a planetary scale, but also mm-hmm. coming out of a particular context, right, and how to maintain the commitment to the totality of the transformation that she is trying to um, argue for, but also acknowledge that, you know, she was writing about John Canoe and mm-hmm. Rastafari and, and all of these things, right? And these, not simply as a aesthetic mediations, no, no. you know, but at that in the aesthetic mediation, there is the thinking itself. Um, and so how to do that difficult work, right, of maintaining the push for that kind of macro, meta, planetary, total transformation that she very much is intervening in, but also thinking that there is... She has an intellectual history of her own that particular to her and also an intellectual history that she's inside of. Um, and those interlocutors being, of course, and also she was a dancer. And also she was an actress. And yeah. a playwright. A playwright. Yeah. And a novelist. A, no- novelist. a novelist. Right. Yes. So this is somebody who's covered yes. so many I know. fields. So Absolutely. many. Yeah. But one, and then I think but that kind of, um, that kind of mastery, right, um, of so many different languages and fields and um, aesthetic productions. Fluency. I think it's, huh? <laughs> fluency. A fluency. Fluency, yes. Too. Fluency, yes. Yeah. Fluency, too. Um, I think it also... Yeah. Um, shows us how and why she takes so seriously um, the kind of cultural and um, and literary productions of the human, right? And, and like, our thinking. And so I think one of the things that we see um, in the Academy is that there's a whole sect, sect, the majority of the Academy does not take seriously our lives, right? It does not take seriously the things that we produce and that we do. And Winter sees both the kind of farce of the academy, the farce of this kind of intellectual project, and then actually take seriously the lives and lived experiences and productions and creations and religious practices and all that, everything that we do. Yeah. And it's like, okay, so if we, if we take this seriously, number one, then what, then what is the way? Mm -hmm. Right. And for me, that is the key. Um, to uh, not only understanding her work, right, um, and and the weight of it, but also understanding for me kind of like a pathway. How do I continue to stay on path um, in a place that is going to continually try to entice me to move mm-hmm. over to the light side, right? Mm-hmm. So this the kind of mo- in the modern colonial gender schema mm-hmm. um, is going to give me cookies for disavowing, Absolutely. you know, mm-hmm. what we know. And how we represent, history. like you were saying, all those other voices that we don't hear about all the Absolutely. time. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, women that we know doing that kind of work all the mm-hmm. time. I'm thinking of Angelique Nixon and the oh, Caribbean yeah. mm-hmm. and the kind of work she does at, at the level of activism and also in, at the university. But also working with um, pushing against the boundaries um, which keep LGBTQ um, representations outside of the, the frame of what is considered normative in mm-hmm. a society. Mm-hmm. And then also working with... Um, Public violences against women, and particularly in carnival cultures, carnivals that are taking place right now, creating movements which talk about "leave me alone," you know, you don't have mm-hmm. to touch me, to yeah. um, to have a good time and enjoy this experience of being in carnival. So I love the fact that people like her are doing that kind of work. I'm also thinking about a couple of women. So um, not Caribbean women, but Black women uh, nonetheless who are doing important work. I, you know. Um, uh, Stella Nyanzi um, was, I think, yes. released from prison uh, today or was oh, it yesterday? She was. Oh, she wow. Oh, my goodness. Something like that. Yeah, Please one don't of my grad students <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> has been working but, with her for a while. And she, you know, released her book of poetry, No uh, Roses from, from My Mouth, um, a book of 
uh, some poems that she wrote while incarcerated. Thank you for that. Um, so I want to, you know, say her name too, Estelle yes. Yanzi. I'm really happy. And um, there's also a really um, wonderful um, uh, radical um, feminist uh, from Burundi named Judicale Irakazo. Ira- Irakozi, um, and uh, she has been doing a lot of work on um, trying to excavate and um, um, elevate and, I guess, uh, make visible all the contributions of Mariam Sankara, who was um, Thomas Sankara's uh, widow and who co-wrote his speeches, helped develop oh, a lot I'm of his ideas and political too. platforms. We have to share that information. So too. her name is <laughs> Judy Kale, and I will share the information. Yes. But she's been doing a lot of really important work, and I just think it's... Um, you know, we're following in the in the lead of so many Black women intellectuals like like Carol, who have done the work right mm-hmm. of um, not simply doing not not to use it super anthropological or archaeological language of like uncovering, but of seeing what's already there, yes. right? And yeah. and looking yeah. to what's been being done and, and making nice it easier for us to do our. You made it easier. Easier yes. for us to do our work. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I that said, is, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. But the, the nice thing I liked about Side Black Women formalizing itself was precisely that Deborah McDowell had uh, said years ago that whenever she writes an essay, it's never complete until she's sure that the citation listing is balanced. So it's not just white men. Mm-hmm. Because back then, mm-hmm. doing theory as Barbara Christian, as mm-hmm. you know, from mm-hmm. Berkeley, yes. challenged that already. Yeah, the logic was Clark. unique. Yeah, right, and yeah. you were doing mostly theoretical representations from Europe and male, yeah. white mm-hmm. male. And then people shifted there now to, to doing the same thing in terms of the U.S. Uh, so she says for any piece that she wrote, she made sure the citations were balanced. Mm-hmm. And I think I like the fact that side black women took that now and made... Yeah. Um, that that as a, a theoretical leap, I think, and a practice, praxis, I should say, mm-hmm. to make sure we represent a whole range of voices Absolutely. that are contributing. And it's been, it, you know, what's really incredible um, for me is to think about um, the the production, the the publication of all of these both uh, creative and um, academic works by Black women. When I'm creating, when I created my syllabus for Race, Gender, and the Human, I put together the reading list and I put together the themes. And I didn't think twice, like, really about it. Like, I'm like, these are the books that hit the themes. Mm-hmm. And then I looked at the syllabus when I was putting the book order in, and they're all black women. And I was like, oh, my God, I did it. But mm-hmm. I did it without having to even think about it. And that's only possible because these women are writing and they're here and they're speaking to every single part of what it means to mm-hmm. be human. Right. Yeah. Um, and I think that for me, that was the moment because I think oftentimes we can labor at it. We can say, like, OK, how are we going to we gonna fit this in and we're going to yeah. bring this in. But then all of a sudden we're getting to a moment, I hope, and we continue to to do this, that like um, black women are the like automatic, like the, you know, the folks who can speak on it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, the other thing I wanted to say in terms of bringing someone in, I wanted to um, say uh, Michelle Cliff. The late Michelle Clifford, oh, yeah. um, sure. whose work for me, whose essays, um, especially uh, The Land of Look Behind and If mm-hmm. I Could Write This in Fire, I love that has piece. been oh, um, yeah. a guiding light for yeah. for my book and I for my work. The Land of Look Behind. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Another experimental piece Absolutely. that mm-hmm. she did um, to cover a lot. I use that quite a bit in class. Too. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I also think like, I'm trying to think about some of the more, even those more, or those women who are kind of more celebrated, mm-hmm. um, thinking about the manner in which they're celebrated and for what, yeah. and perhaps kind of rethinking um, the terms upon which we engage with how we, you know, uh, 
admire or even monumentalize particular women. Like, I think all the time about Winnie Mandela, right? And mm-hmm. how she's never, people don't read her writings, mm-hmm. you know? Like, no one reads what she's I'm right, <laughs> yo, she, I'm writing a book in which she is um, one mm-hmm. of the subjects of a chapter. Oh. Absolutely. So I'm so looking forward to finishing that. Yes. People like her, people like yeah. Rasa Michelle, right? You know, mm-hmm. all of these women who not literally fought, right? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. in these, you know, movements, but also were thinking and writing and documenting. And all we have to do is look, right? Yes. All we have to do is look to yes. what they were doing and, and yeah. writing. And, and, I, and I think part of, one of one part is like, um, look and and think about it and write about it and, and center them. Um, the other part is like mm-hmm. tending to those contributions right. and pulling them out and mm-hmm. you know reanthologizing yeah. and bringing in. And then the other part is and they using are well them. known, right? Yes. So it's it's not simply yeah. that they need to be kind of made visible, but on what terms, right? Absolutely. And for what reason? But yeah. precisely yeah. this, like you know, one of the things is also using them as theoretical frameworks themselves. And so for me, that was a really key in in my book manuscript, which was like I am going to be writing about these literatures coming all over the Black diaspora. But instead of using kind of um, canonical literary theorists as a lens, I'm going to use other black women as a lens through which to read these. Right. Um, And for me, that becomes this key moment when you can say um, these black women who wrote who wrote this poem, who wrote the short story, who wrote this novel. She's the theoretical framework for reading these other black women. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, all of us having this conversation, we just had a conference of all black women in conversation with one another. I mean, it was a beautiful encounter. Right. Um, And. And, you know, I just I just think it's so generative. Yeah. I think it's the first of its kind, isn't it? The black women's intellectual Actual contributions, contributions in the to the Americas. In the Americas. Yes. Yeah. Because I... we've had, there have been different kinds of yes. meetings, but not one to really talk about the intellectual, Absolutely. black women as intellectuals. Yeah. Absolutely. And one thing that I really enjoyed yesterday, so I never anticipated that, like, giving my paper on Sophia Winter would, like, generate this particular discussion. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I do a lot with her work and I go to conferences and I write about her in my manuscript. And, and what I thought was really, really beautiful was that, um, okay, so I gave, I gave the paper and then in the same instance, we got the translation. We got the kind of institutional and intellectual history that led to the moment of its publication, of course, yes, <laughs> because yes. you were in the audience, um, Carol. Um, and we also got a, a way of, um, thinking about her work in Spanish on live, like in live terms. So like, so you didn't have time for pretense, all right? Or to prepare what you thought would be the the way to present the information. You had to go, (laughs) right? You had to go with the grammar available to you, right? Right. And because you did that. And reshape it. Yeah, and you shaped it. And you shaped it as you were translating, Mm -hmm. right? And because of that, it just, it was something really beautiful. Like I said, we bottled lightning, you know? I told you, I said it was like a masterclass. It was amazing. (laughs) I mean, I hope, you know, people, I was (laughs) saying this should excerpt just that so people who, who want to write casually about winter can Ab- really learn absolutely. a few more and ways I, of entering her work. I loved it, especially mm. because in the translation, like, I was able to listen to what you're saying. I was already hearing you and responding to you mm-hmm. without even thinking that I was going to translate for you. So then in translating, I'm like, she said this and this other thing. I just <laughs> yeah. want you to know. And she said this, and this is what I think about that, you yeah. know? And this is how it, and so it became really funny. Then on the other side of the Spanish, uh, kind of listening in the Portuguese listening audience, to then listen to your words in translation. <laughs> yeah. And then, like, also so, like a side note, you know, like <laughs> a side note from Carol Boyce Davies yeah, yeah. about the publication yeah. itself. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I couldn't have 
imagined anything yeah. better. But, you know, as I told you afterwards, and, and many people have written about winter, mm-hmm. but I what I say all the time is that another generation of, of scholars, young scholars with different tools, literary tools, are able now to even take that the analytical frameworks that were created earlier in more directions, in mm. future directions, and then take it to another generation of grad students. I love that. Oh, I, I love it. So. I, um, I think we have been wrapped up over yeah. here. Um, <laughs> I feel like we could continue this conversation totally. for hours. Um, They're but telling I us we have to stop. Yeah. Okay. Stop. Well, well, enjoy. This but has been thank you. Lovely, thank you so much. Yes. I am so glad so to be able to. I'm going to just hold everybody's hands. Absolutely. Uh, thank you to Site Black Women for having us. Yeah. And this Lausanne Law Conference has been incredible. No, and we're I'm happy. Yes. Yeah. So thank you. Now we can continue. Uh, <laughs> is that yeah. what they say? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Site Black Women. Follow us at Site Black Women on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and our new website www.siteblackwomencollective.org And remember, it's simple. Site Black Women. We theorize, we produce, we revolutionize the world. 